Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. All right, good morning, church. It's great to be with you all. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms, to all of you who are celebrating moms, remembering moms. I'm really excited to be preaching today uh, because in many ways, preaching on Mother's Day represents a redemption of sorts for me. Preaching on Mother's Day is a big deal. This is a real honor. But it's especially a big deal if you've preached on Mother's Day in the past and it didn't really go well for you. Several years back, our church was preaching through the Ten Commandments, and I was the new guy on staff. There were four other pastors, and I was always looking for a chance to preach. And so they said, Nate, you get to preach on Mother's Day. And I was like, sweet, so excited. So Mother's Day lined up with the Sixth Commandment. If you don't know what the Sixth Commandment is, I'm going to tell you in just a second. Well, so I was really excited. I was starting my sermon prep, was eager to preach on Mother's Day. And there were some friends in our church at the time who were planning on bringing their mom in town. Who was, she was visiting from out of town. She was going to be there. And they said, sweet, let's bring her to church on Mother's Day. Well, they didn't know what the sermon was going to be about either. And the sermon did not bode well because this mom had just walked through a very serious season of adultery. And the sixth commandment that young preacher Nate was preaching on, on Mother's Day, was do not commit adultery. So let's just say that was not quite the Mother's Day sermon that they, or really anybody, was anticipating that Mother's Day. And as I heard through the grapevine, they were a little upset about that, and then shortly left the church after that. I don't know for sure if it was just because of that sermon. I don't think so. So every Mother's Day, now I am reminded of that first time I got to preach on Mother's Day. So today, Lord willing, can be a redemptive type sermon for us on Mother's Day. We're going to be in Matthew 12, and you can turn in your Bibles there. And as Scott mentioned last week, it has been a long time in coming, reaching the end of one more chapter in Matthew. Today in our passage, actually, Jesus will speak specifically about mothers and about family. As I said, we're going to be in Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. We'll hear that read in just a couple minutes. But as we start, have you ever heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water? Has anyone ever heard that phrase? Blood is thicker than water. It's a statement meaning that friendships are often like water. They can come and go. They can pass. But your blood, the blood, your blood family, they're always there for you. They always have your back. Your friendships, they'll leave. But your family, they're not going to leave. They are always there. Well, let's just think about that. Would, would you say that's true in your life? Is blood really thicker than water? I know for some of us, maybe your family is really like that. Your family is always there. You have great relationships with your parents, your grandparents, your siblings. For others of us, maybe that's not true. Maybe water is thicker than blood for you. Maybe your real family is friendships. Maybe your family relationships have been hard for you. For me, I'd always been told, though, it's true. Blood is thicker than water. 
friendships specifically even in the church will come and go, but your family is always there. Well, so today I want you to think about that. Blood is thicker than water, and we're going to hold that up against what Jesus is going to say to us today about the reality of family. So I'm going to ask Krista to come up now, and she's going to read for us Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. Well, he was... This is on now, I think. No? Test, test. Yeah, you're on. Thank you. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, is my brother and sister and mother. Awesome. Thanks, Krista. Let's pray. Jesus, we do ask for, for help today as we look at this sermon passage. God, we do ask for understanding from your word. Jesus, we ask that you, the word who has come in flesh, would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us today. Can I ask that you would strengthen and encourage each man, woman, and child here today around the reality of who you are and what your call on us means. God, thank you for how you have met me this week in my prep, for the quiet moments of study when you have spoke to me. I pray, God, now for clarity even as I speak and that together we as Redemption Church would see Jesus today. It's because of Jesus we pray this. Amen. So in this very short passage, we see Jesus teaching, and most of the commentators think that he's in a house, and then his family approaches. In other uh, gospel accounts, specifically in the gospel of Mark, his family's approaching because they think that he's losing his mind, or they think that maybe he's not even taking care of himself and eating, so they're worried about him. And so they approach and want to speak to him. But then Jesus, if you look, he says some very startling, some very alarming things. In one sense, it looks like he's bashing his family. It looks like he's ignoring his own mom. It looks like Jesus is saying, water is thicker than blood. But what Jesus is actually doing, and this is what we're going to unpack, is he's actually illustrating how even family is to be understood as secondary when it comes to allegiance to the kingdom of God. So let's dig into this. The first thing we see Jesus saying is that even family relationships are now re-envisioned in light of the coming kingdom of God. As we've been seeing all throughout Matthew, Jesus is on the move. His kingdom is expanding, and there is nothing that is off limits from his kingdom. Demons are giving way to him. Creation itself is falling under the will of Jesus. And now Jesus is saying the kingdom changes even what we think about our family. This person says to him in verse 36, 46, your family's wanting to see you. And Jesus says, who is my mother or my brothers? He then points to those gathered around him. And he says, this is my family. My family is whoever is pursuing the will of the father. Notice he says, my family is whomever, meaning anyone who aligns themselves with Jesus is now his family. 
This means that Jesus is saying we need to re-envision who and what we think about family. But Jesus isn't just saying that. He's actually restructuring what we think is normal. What we think family norms are supposed to be. And that's the second thing we see, that Jesus offers a startling restructuring of the norms. In Jesus' culture, think for a second about what life in ancient Israel would have been like. There's a little picture there showing like what a traditional household could have looked like. In Jesus' time, in the ancient Near East, family was life. You lived with your family your whole life. If you got married, you maybe got an extra room built onto the house. You didn't move to another town. You didn't take up a job going to a neighboring port. You lived in that area your whole life. This was your world. And in verse 46... When Jesus' family comes, some of the commentators and scholars writing about this say, it seems like Jesus' family kind of felt they had some rights. They could kind of come and be like, hey man, you're our son. This is what good sons do. We want to talk to you. Leave the crowds. Come be with us. This is what a good son, a good brother would have done. So Jesus, though, is not just correcting them. He's actually showing a new norm that's happening He's saying family is important, but it is not ultimate. The kingdom of God is ultimate. And I think for us, in our American, Christian, evangelical culture, there's a great emphasis on marriage. There's a great emphasis on the family unit. But we need to ask, how does that square up with what Jesus is saying here today? You see, church, if you want a family, if you want to be married, that's great. That's amazing. But what we need to realize is that that is not the goal of the kingdom of God. The goal of the kingdom of God is not for everybody to just be married and start a nuclear family. The family unit is not the center of the kingdom. This is not minimizing your family. This is actually about elevating the priority of the kingdom and anyone who is part of it. So, this would call us to give some honest reflection right now. Do you think that marriage in the nuclear family is the best or only way to live out the kingdom? Do you look down on others who maybe don't share your view of that life. If you think about it, Jesus is showing us that the real problem with the church in America is not that we need to reclaim the family as the center, as so many more groups of Christians would say. Jesus is showing us, no, the real center of the kingdom of God is anyone who is aligned with Jesus. That's what we need to reclaim as the center. Jesus is saying that anyone who is in allegiance with him thus knows the Father, and they are now in the truest of families. That's what he's saying. This is a demand to restructure what we think of as normal church. What do you think is normal? Of course, we all would say, oh, yeah, what you're saying, yeah, yeah, the family of God, yeah, yeah, that's norm." Well, we can determine pretty quickly what we think is normal based on how do you view people who feel called to be celibate? 
How do you feel about people who maybe have same-sex attraction and choose to not get married? Nice catch. <laughs> How do you view people who maybe are in a season of singleness and maybe they want to be married, but they're not yet married? How do you view those people? Do you think the best thing is for them to become like you? We can be honest with ourselves. Do you maybe unintentionally coddle your friends by saying, well, maybe, maybe one day you'll have what I have? Do you offer your single friends pithy hope that, oh, don't worry, it won't be like this for you forever? Church, do we make people not like us feel like they're second class because we think that the nuclear family or being married is the center of the kingdom of God? Single people. Do you feel like that at Redemption Church? That you're second class until maybe you're married or maybe you start dating or maybe you one day have a family. Jesus is telling us the new norm is seeing family in all of those in the kingdom. This is not just a corrective. This is a restructuring of priorities, he's saying. We're going to keep looking at this more. But another thing that I want us to see is that Jesus in this passage is declaring his own proximity, his own closeness to anyone who's in his family. That's the third thing we see. Proximity means closeness. It means nearness. Look at verse 50. He says, whoever does what my father is doing in me, he is my brother, sister, mother. Listen to what this one scholar says. In the language of extravagance used by Jesus, the person is not a brother or a sister or a mother based on age or gender, but you are all three at once. The point is that those who do the will of the Father are everything to Jesus. Did you catch that? If you are in Jesus, there is no familial lack. You are everything to Jesus as part of his family. You have the deepest familial intimacy with him and the Father. And in one sense, I think we could say, if you look at the story of God throughout the scriptures, Jesus has always had a family. God has always had a family who was his sons and daughters. But I think here in this passage, Jesus is introducing a new and deeper sense in that we are now intimately family with God in the flesh. Jesus, church, I think some of us need to hear this this morning. Jesus calls you his family. Another scholar, Leon Morris, writes this. He is emphatic. He and no other. He is the whole family, brother, sister, mother. Jesus is not saying that earthly family ties are unimportant, only that they are not all important. Doing the will of God is all important. So we need to make a quick little pause here and check our gospel theology. We become identified as family by doing the Father's will. Notice, it's, this is not salvation by works. You don't work your way to become family. Rather, when you are doing the Father's will, it is then apparent these are the family members of Jesus. Those who do the Father's will are everything to Jesus. 
And friends, we have ultimate access to him. He is declaring how close he is to us. Brother, sister, mother. This is, we pick up on this even in other parts of the Bible. Jesus had a brother named James. If you know, the book of James is one of the later books in the New Testament. Jesus' own brother wrote one of the books in the New Testament. You know how James describes himself? He doesn't say, hey, everybody, this is James. I'm the blood brother of Jesus. He says, I'm James. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. James saw that his spiritual connection to Jesus was greater than the fact that he was a blood relative of Jesus. So at this point in the passage, what are we seeing? I believe that we're seeing that it's not so much that blood is thicker than water, but rather that obedience and allegiance is thicker than blood. We are seeing that obedience and allegiance is thicker than blood. But if that's true, if that is true, what does that mean? What does that mean in our everyday life? Think first thing. First off, it means that Jesus is inviting us to recenter our lives on who our real family is. Jesus is showing us that our deepest ties are indeed with those who share blood, but not our blood, his blood. I would encourage you, do a quick search on verses in the New Testament that talk about the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that draws us into the family of God. We do indeed share blood, but it's his blood that brings us into the family. Jesus is showing us here that we are to be consistently, to be growing and reclaiming and recentering our lives on who our real family is. Who is our real family? It's our brothers and sisters here in Redemption Church. It is your brothers and sisters in your local church. And church, in case you ever wondered, because we're family here at Redemption, this is why the Sunday gathering is so important. Think about it. The Sunday gathering is when we come together because of Jesus, because of what the Father has done, and we recenter our lives on who we are as a family. This is the one time a week, the two hours out of the, what's in a week, 168 hours, the two hours when we call the family to be together. Two hours is not that much. This is why the local church is the centerpiece of the mission of God in the world, because that is the family of Jesus coming together. So church... That's why it's really important to be part of the local church. Another reason, in case you ever wondered, because we're family here, this is why we think missional communities are the best way that discipleship happens. Scott already talked a little bit about missional communities this morning. Real family life happens when the family is actually really together. We grow in maturity through our family life together. You don't grow in maturity by removing people from your life. You might grow in some head knowledge, but you will not grow in being an authentic disciple of Jesus if you are living your life with Jesus off alone by yourself. Church, in case you ever wondered, because we are family here at Redemption, this is why we refuse to shut up about the fact that we're a family of servant missionaries. Our identity as family shapes all that we do. Because church, if you forget who you are, then you're not going to know what you're supposed to do. 
I almost feel like maybe there are some here in this room who don't know what you're supposed to be doing in life. It's maybe because you don't know who you are. Maybe you need to do some work there and say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in this season of life. Well, who are you? First off, I would say, who are you in relation to God? Who are you? I mean, that, that trickles down to the rest of your life. If you don't know who you are, then you won't know what to do. So if we don't know that we're family, then we won't know what we're supposed to be doing as family. So, church, let us keep fighting for family growth here at Redemption. And since I'm on this topic, I just want to highlight three ways right now family is happening here at Redemption. It's already happening For our men in redemption, there's a group called Illuminate that meets on Monday nights for anyone who's 18 and up. This is a group of men who meet here at the building, and these are brothers who come together to talk about real-life stuff, real-life issues. There are men in this room who have become brothers to me through this group. And men, there's room for you if you want to jump in. Put your big boy pants on, though. This is real life. There's room for you. Men, there's room for you. For our ladies, our deacon Krista, who read our scripture for us, she's doing a fantastic job of leading our ladies together in a group called Cultivate. Our ladies are going through a Bible study right now. They're actually going through James. Krista's already talking about the fall retreat for our women. Ladies, if you are not connected to Cultivate, please grab Krista after. Grab me after, and I'll connect you to the ladies of Cultivate. For all of us, another way family is happening is through our missional communities. Family is happening through missional communities here at Redemption. So friends, each of these arenas highlights spaces where family is happening. I want to encourage you, keep pressing in. If you've been distant, jump back in. So what else do we see here? We see Jesus is reshaping family. We see that he's inviting us to recenter our life. But if obedience and allegiance is thicker than water, or thicker than blood, that means that Jesus here also is redefining how we view marriage and singleness. We realize that marriage and singleness are now both integral parts of family life together. But again, as we already hit on, we often wrongly think that marriage is the goal for everybody. There's this book I've been reading over the last year. It's called Red Skies. If you want to get it and read it, I would encourage you to read it. If you read it and buy one chapter, I will take you out for a cup of coffee and we will talk about any chapter you want. But in this specific chapter talking about marriage and sexuality and how the church deals with all of the sexual issues in our culture today, the authors of this book write this, that in our culture, marriage, rather than being treated as a sacred embodied metaphor of the self-giving love between Christ and his bride, marriage is often reduced to being an avenue of happiness, belonging, and family. Celibacy, meanwhile, has lost its sacred portrayal of the church's whole-bodied betrothal to Christ. And celibacy, or singleness, has become synonymous with sexual deprivation and loneliness. Just pause right there. Did did you catch what he's saying? 
In our culture, because we have often lost what singleness and marriage means, marriage is like, ah, oh, I'll never be alone. Singleness is, oh man, that, that sounds like just sexual deprivation and loneliness. How did we get there? He writes, no wonder so many Christians are theologically eager to loosen all boundaries placed around marriage and to avoid celibacy at all costs. If marriage is intended for our happiness and celibacy for our misery, then the good news must only be good when it guarantees marriage. Think about that. Don't, don't read anymore. Just think about that for a second. Church, have we unintentionally bought into that? That the good news must only be good news if it guarantees marriage. Again, church, in, in our day, this isn't even in my notes, in our day and age with so much sexual confusion, people with same-sex attraction, transgenderism, all these different sexual issues coming at us today, have we lost our ability to communicate about these things because we have such a narrow view of what singleness and marriage is supposed to be like? I think it is. We have work to do here, church, to continue to learn about this together. The authors continue, the best way for us to correct this low view of marriage and celibacy, and thus the way to elevate both vocations, is to recognize how the kingdom of God redefines family. For the follower of Jesus, family is not defined exclusively or even primarily by biological or legal relationships. That's just a taste of what's in that book, by the way. So I encourage you to get it. What we see, though, in this passage in Matthew 12 is that Jesus is redefining what marriage and family looks like. We're seeing that Christian family is not something only created through marriage and having children. Christian family is created as we seek to participate in God's story together. And this happens through marriage and through singleness and celibacy. Think about, what, what does this mean? When our vision of family is not limited by some idea of what a nuclear family is supposed to be, but it's expanded to understand what kingdom family is about, this means that single people in our church, in our life, they become co-creators and participants in the family in whom there is no lack. Also notice... Jesus is redefining the very purpose of marriage itself here. Marriage is not about withdrawing from kingdom family for the sake of your own biological or legally married family. Marriages are not a place that you cloister away from the world in your sweet little lovey cuddle time. Marriages are a vehicle for service and mission. Marriage is not about two people blissfully disconnecting from community. Marriage is a vehicle for the gospel to be on display. So husbands and wives, do you want to help your spouse grow? Lead each other into allegiance in Jesus and seeing how your life is centered on the family of Jesus. Show each other how to live together for the sake of others. Parents, do you want to raise your kids well? Center your family's life and your marriage on that. Show your children the mission and the priority of Jesus and his people, and you will raise your children well. 
Show your children how your relationship as husband and wife is chiefly directed at the mission of God in the world through the people of God in the world. For our single folks, our celibate friends, those who may be wanting to marry, those who are not yet married, maybe those who feel called to a life of singleness, help all of us by growing and seeing your life as a sacred portrayal of how the church's whole body is to belong to Jesus. Help us learn from you in that. Don't be afraid to speak up about that when you see that we need to grow in that. So then churches, we seek to do this together, both single and married united. We realize very much, very quickly, that our family life is not just for us. Our family here is intended to draw others. Our family here is intended for a world that is starving for family, for an experience of family. This is our last thing we're going to see, that Jesus invites us to become family to a world that is starving for family. Our increasingly isolated world is starving for a real experience of what Jesus is describing. This is seen in the numerous clubs and organizations that people align themselves with. This is seen in our obsession with social media. We are starved. This is seen in the sheer volume of people who describe themselves as lonely. This week in an article from PBS, I read some doctors and psychiatrists talking and they read that loneliness is often talked about as an epidemic. Some surveys reveal that around 60% of people in the U.S. right now report feeling lonely on a pretty regular basis. And that's pretty devastating from a public health perspective, they write. This is worse than rates of obesity. This is worse than rates of diabetes. Church, so many people, even us here, are lonely. But specifically, I would say our young adults, our teens, anyone who would be a millennial or younger maybe, you know how I know that we're lonely? Because we often, often act apathetic. How many of you today would just say, man, teenagers these days, they're just so apathetic. They just have no desire to do anything. They have no motivation. Back in my day, we were motivated. We were driven. Kids these days, they're just so apathetic. Have you ever said that? I've said that a lot. Friends, apathy is not laziness. Apathy is a denial. Apathy is a denial. It's an attempt to, it's a defiant attempt to hide our hearts. Kids are lonely. Our world is lonely. But church, our world is ready. Our world is ready for an experience of family. The fields are ready for harvest. The teens, the young people, the millennials, they are ready to truly step into experiencing family like the one Jesus is describing. Church, in Jesus, we have what they are looking for. 
Again, not because Redemption Church is so amazing. It's because Redemption Church is in Jesus. So we have the family that they are looking for. So we are called to be family together for the sake of those not yet in the family. So even as you think about this, who are you being sent to as family? Who in your world right now do you know is so lonely? Maybe it's you, so disconnected. Who are the faces popping up in your mind right now? Jesus calling us to be family for the sake of those not in the family, for the world that is starving for this experience of family. So again, going back full circle to where we started. Blood is thicker than water, but obedience and allegiance to Jesus creates a family that indeed is thicker than blood. Let's pray, and then we're going to prepare to take communion. Jesus, we do want to pause and even just acknowledge the loneliness that we feel in our own hearts. Jesus, maybe there are many here today who would say, I am lonely. I have people around me, and I am lonely. Jesus, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would not allow us to be content in this place, but that you would stir us up to be honest, to be vulnerable, to realize that because we are in you, Jesus, we can actually be open and honest about where we truly are at with our feelings, with our emotions, with our loneliness, with our lack. And Jesus, I pray that you would do that so that Redemption Church can learn how to better be family together. But Jesus, would we then be those who are sent to the next door neighbor who looks like he has everything together, but who is dying of loneliness, to the coworker who seems fine, but who is so afraid and has no friends, to the family members we know who maybe are estranged, who maybe think nobody could ever love them. Jesus, would you send us there? Jesus, would you be continually be filling us up so that we could be poured out and spent and show love for others? Jesus, we want to see redemption grow as men, women, and children come to experience your family, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.